Amen. We're privileged tonight again to have Anthony Frolio, who has served as a deacon for several years faithfully with the other deacons of our church. And last year when we, or the beginning of this year, when we opened nominations, uh, his name uh, was nominated as a candidate for the office of elder. Uh, There are, of course, distinctions between the offices. And one of those distinctions is the ability or the aptness to teach. Uh, And that is a formal thing. Uh, as we've had our elders, elders do in the past when we've had them exhort God's people uh, uh, here at church in the evenings. And uh, it also has an informal uh, sort of experience when elders uh, uh, correctly handle the word of God as they counsel with and encourage uh, their fellow believers in the things of Christ. So as Robert did last week, so Anthony is doing this week in a formal way coming to exhort God's people Uh, We're grateful for this opportunity for him. We're grateful for you being here tonight. And we continue to encourage you as a session that you would talk to these men and uh, encourage them and ask them questions. They're expecting that. And continue to pray for the Lord's leading as we approach our time in January where we will have elections for the office of elder and the office of deacon. Anthony, you'd come, brother. Hello. <laughs> All right. So a little backstory. Um, there I was, uh, much like my high school years, taking the same class over again. Only this time, it was a little different. It, it was church officer training. Um, but instead of training to serve as a deacon, I've been, as you know, training to serve as an elder. And toward the middle of training approximately three to four months ago, we began discussing the scriptural requirements for officers within the church found in 1 Timothy and Titus. And as pastor has already alluded to, the ability to teach is one of the two abilities or gifts God requires of an elder or overseer. And providentially around that time, Pastor Trefskar was preaching through Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. And in one of the three points, three sub points, three applications, three sections, three something. Pastor was specifically speaking about sanctification and a method or means by which sanctification is accomplished. You may remember he said, the Holy Spirit taking the holy word of God and making a holy people. Word and spirit, spirit and word. In that sermon, Pastor also encouraged us to read, pray, and meditate on Psalm 119, a divine love poem focused on the Word of God. Believe it or not, admittedly, I don't take every recommendation that comes my way. Uh, Time is limited, and let's be honest, I forget more than I remember these days. Thankfully, I took this recommendation and was thoroughly blessed by my time in Psalm 119. So tonight, I wanted to share some of that with you, and hopefully you too will be blessed, encouraged, perhaps even challenged in some way. And don't worry, we aren't going through all of Psalm 119, which happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible. I've chosen just one small portion for us to look at and work through tonight. With that brief introduction, as is our custom, if you're able, please stand as we read and pray over God's word. 
Psalm 119. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Let's pray. Father, please be glorified and honored by this exhortation. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the one and only God, triune, perfect in power, and alone worthy of our ultimate praise and worship. Please open our eyes and hearts to your word. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you had to guess how many sections I broke this exhortation into, what would it be? If the number three came to your mind, you'd be correct. It's a phenomenon for sure. Full disclosure, a couple days ago I realized I probably could have broken this up into four sections, you know, cracked the code, um, but I would have lost one of my jokes, so I kept it at three. Um, The three sections or headings I've chosen are first, a servant's request, second, a sojourner's help, and third, delight in counsel. I absolutely love the way this begins. Yes, we begin with a servant's request, but it really begins with the sovereignty of God. Can you see it? Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. The servant recognizes and depends on God acting first. We as servants need God to act first before we can live and keep his word. We need him to deal or act bountifully toward us before we can move toward him. God the Holy Spirit regenerates, grants faith, and then we are, just like the psalmist here, enabled to ask or pray for the goodness or bounty that comes with obeying God's word. With the utmost certainty, we can say the person saying these things here before us is one of God's people. Elect, chosen, faithful. The not-so-subtle hint is the psalmist's reference to himself as servant, specifically your servant. He serves the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. I don't know about you, but I don't know of any atheists or non-believers who refer to themselves as servants of Yahweh. Pastor Fisher further explained in his sermon on Psalm 19 that Yahweh is a personal, specific covenantal name reserved for his covenant people and our equivalent today is father the focus on God's sovereignty and power is also seen in verse 18 open my eyes why that I may see wonderful things in your law again pastor Fisher taught us recently law or Torah here is equivalent to divine revelation or the holy word of God and this says here 
there is a need for our eyes to be opened. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, for our minds to grasp and find the wonderful and amazing truth in the law of God, we need our eyes to be opened by the Holy Spirit. So today, we can and should ask the Lord to consistently open our eyes to see the wonderful, truly amazing, beautiful and timeless truths available to us in Scripture. The servant's request here should be our requests as well. In the bulk of the, this, this section, uh, verses 19 through 23, I'm, I'm labeling a sojourner's help. Verse 19 and 20, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Again, connecting with John 17 and Jesus' high priestly prayer, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I, Jesus, am not of the world. We are not of the world, but in the world. As followers of Christ and a people set apart for holiness, our love for our Savior who first loved us and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit should create in us longing desire for God's commandments and rules as the primary source of truth and abundant life. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Westminster Confession of Faith, which we read a little bit earlier, referring to the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, says this, all which are given by inspiration of God, or God breathed, to be the rule of faith and life. A wonderful testament and praise to God we often have is how we see this longing or seeking God in his word frequently by our family or student of the week, and we should never grow tired or weary of seeing anyone ask for prayer to help focus and pursue our Father in daily devotions. Really, this is almost directly the same thing as hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times, as the psalmist says here. In verse 21 through 23, we have both doctrine and practice. As sojourners awaiting our heavenly home, and because we are different, we are hated. We love God's rules and laws. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We love him, and therefore we want to keep his commandments. The fallen world looks on with scorn and contempt. Why can't I do whatever I want whenever I want? It's my life. It's my body. It's my money. It's my time. As sojourners and servants, we have been enabled by the bountiful grace of God to know that none of that is ours. It's all his. And oh, how liberating, how... How freeing it is to submit willingly and completely all to him. Father, not my will, but yours be done. The sojourner does just that here and leaves judgment and vengeance to the Lord. Verse 21, you rebuke the insolent accursed ones who wander from your commandments. We are not called to walk around with a chip on our shoulders and wage physical war. We are called to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies to pray for those who persecute us, to pick up our cross daily, 
and follow Christ. Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Or the best example, Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is so practical and helpful for those among us sensitive to the slights and open rebellion the defeated fallen world order wages against God and his people. In verse 22, there's a wonderful moment uh, where the psalmist appears to call out for help and asks the Lord to take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. We've already talked about the scorn and contempt of a fallen world, which is certain for God's people. When we remain faithful to God, it puts us at odds with the world around us. When we don't steal, when we don't lie, when we don't cheat, when we don't gossip, when we stand for justice and truth, when we admire modesty and purity, a world which is prone to calling right wrong and wrong right is going to attack us. When that happens, the sojourner calls out to God and asks for help. We pray and trust in God's promises, statutes, laws, commandments, testimonies, and precepts, precepts found in the one and only perfect thing we have in this fallen world, God's word. Verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, reminds me of what Pastor Fisher said. The weapons that the Lord has given to his church look extremely pathetic, especially in our modern times. The princes and powers this world, of this world plot against us, and we appear, from a worldly perspective, weak and impotent. What's the definitive answer to that found here? What is the sojourner's help? Your servant will meditate on your statutes. When we feel and appear weakest, especially to the powers of the world around us, the Bible has the answers both directly and indirectly. Directly, John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is, in Jesus. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be afraid of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. A personal favorite of mine, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, 25, 27 through 29. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I haven't verified personally, but it has been said the iteration of do not be afraid or fear not occurs 365 times in the Bible, one for each day. There are no coincidences when it comes to God and his words. If we tether ourselves to his statutes, if we study and meditate on God's word, he directly speaks to us expressions of encouragement and reassurance of his power and rule over all things 
including the princes of this world. We covered a few direct verses, which should be a help to the godly sojourner. I use the term indirectly here, but it really is directly. Um, However, to make the point indirectly, you see God in his word, truly sovereign over the princes or rulers of our world when we consider Joseph, Moses and Pharaoh, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, Mordecai, Haman, Job, Jonah, Samson, David, King Nebuchadnezzar. What about the Canaanites, Philistines, Babylonians, and Assyrians? We could go on and on, over and over and over again. The Holy Scriptures testify and show Yahweh, our Father, saving his people and ruling the nations, which he still does today. Of course, nowhere is his fatherly rule and love seen more clearly and directly than in Christ. His entire life, death, ministry, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God the Father is a resounding crescendo declaring absolute total victory. It is finished. Like our brother Robert said last week, the veil is split and the partition between God and man is obliterated in and through Jesus. What a truly amazing God we serve. And so the sojourner's help here in God's word is and should be our help as well. Lastly, we have delight and counsel. If you haven't picked up on it yet, the servant's request should be our request. And the sojourner's help is and should be our help. The same goes for delight and counsel. The delight here is and should be our delight as God's people. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. We said Psalm 119 is a love poem or a love song to God's word. I hope and pray that we as a church and we as followers of Christ can share in the delight of his testimonies to us, his people. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We delight in his voice. It comforts us. It directs us. It gives us strength. It saves us from the dangers and snares of a hostile world. We are called to love the word of God, to delight in his testimonies. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Finally, the last sentence here, they are my counselors, or God's testimonies are my counselors. Um, There's no shortage of counselors around today, 24-7, are there? So much content on vlogs, blogs, podcasts, primetime cable news, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all seeking to counsel and guide us. There's a meme for this. There's an app for that. And the perfect Babylon Bee article, which single-handedly exposes and defeats all worldly arguments. A little sanctified sarcasm there. Listen, none of these things are evil in and of themselves, but by exposing ourselves to these things, like it or not, we are in a sense absorbing the counsel and instruction which they provide. I was guided to 1 Corinthians for help with this idea of his testimonies as our counselor. A major problem the church in Corinth experienced was the world was influencing them rather than they influencing the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul uses the phrase, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
In chapter 6, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And in chapter 10, the focus is on one's neighbor. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. I have two, I've taken two basic, simple, easy biblical principles here from these two passages. Um, Ways to help, uh, something to keep in our mind when we are inundated and fired upon by all these would-be counselors and, and uh, influencers. The first, as you saw, was um, do not be enslaved. We can't serve two masters. Um, we serve the Lord, and we must love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second principle, as you might already realize, is does it build up or tear down our neighbor? Neighbor meaning, of course, everybody around us. We have to love our neighbor as ourself, right? So if any of these two basic principles are compromised, beware. Be very careful with anything that we're reading or putting into our minds, putting into our hearts. Again, none of these things are evil in and of themselves. However, sometimes, a lot of the time, if I'm being honest, I'm quicker to make decisions influenced by, say, a YouTube video or an article or I seek the counsel of others before considering what the word of God says first and foremost. And I believe this is contrary to what the psalmist is saying here. Later in this same psalm, it says, When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. And the unfolding of your words gives light. We read that in the call to worship. And of course, your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. These other things, all things really, which can be good and used for promoting light and life, need to be examined and weighed by the counsel of the word of God and not the other way around. Now you might be sitting there thinking, did he just sit up there for 15, 20 minutes and say we need to read our Bibles and love God's word? Yeah, the answer is yes. But here's the thing. Just like Alistair Begg said about marriage, the same thing applies here. The answer is simple, but the doing, the actual work and labor this takes, if you and I are honest, is anything but easy. Pastor Fisher, in our corporate prayer of confession, often confesses on our behalf as a church that we have not committed ourselves to Scripture as we ought. The noise, distractions, the holiday seasons, the daily grind, coupled with what Paul says in Romans 7. When I want to do, sorry, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Or how about putting another way? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, God, I love. So yes, we need to read the Bible and love God's word, but we also need him to deal bountifully with us so that we can live and keep his word. My aim is and was to encourage, and one of the ultimate promises made to us at the end of the day is this. He who calls us is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray.
Father, please deal bountifully with us that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things in scripture. We praise you as sojourners who have a true and real help here and now, not only in the Bible, but also in the Holy Spirit. Please increase our faith and reliance upon you to grow us in grace and understanding of your perfect divine revelation. And may we delight in your testimonies, that they be our first and foremost counselors. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.